Hey, what's up, everybody? Those of you who are watching in our San Jose campus, as well as online the few days before Thanksgiving, I just want to wish all of you a wonderful and happy, blessed Thanksgiving. And as a matter of fact, as we move into this larger holiday season, this is the perfect time for me to teach this message, which I've called The Secret to a Fulfilling Life. And with that, let's read our passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The Apostle Paul is the one that's writing here. Listen to what he says. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, bless this teaching. Do with it more than I can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let me begin by just as I reflect in a few days, we're all going to be sitting around a Thanksgiving table. I'm going to be sitting around on mine. I got tons of stuff to give God thanks for and to be grateful for. But at the top of my list, uh, I'm going to be extraordinarily grateful for all of you who have taken this journey with me and NBCC over the course of the last uh, eight weeks. We started with our Explore God series. Uh, inside of it, we took on some really serious questions like, uh, does God actually exist? And why does God allow for pain and suffering? We had 176 discussion groups across the Bay Area, both virtually and in person. It was just an extraordinary time. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, last week, as a matter of fact, one of our partners shared with me an astonishing uh, experience she had. She said she was in a small group meeting and she was totally stunned when someone said they just didn't believe that Jesus was God. And she was even more pleasantly surprised, if I might say, when nobody in the group condemned her, judged her, or jumped on any kind of way. Everybody just shared what their perspective was, engaged, met this person where they were, and moved forward. That's what NBCC is all about on a week-to-week -week basis. We seek to create spaces for people to meet God right where you are, at your pace. So I'm proud of all our small group discussion leaders and people who participated. I'm so grateful for those of you who were with us week after week. Last weekend, we had an extraordinary time. Just a blast, guys. Uh, we had hundreds of people scattered across the Bay Area in five different locations, really magnifying the light and the love of Jesus Christ in some incredible ways. Let me just talk about three very specific examples out of the five. The first uh, is we partnered with an organization called Because Justice Matters. It works and ministers in the Tenderloin uh, neighborhood of San Francisco, one of the toughest neighborhoods in San Francisco. This particular organization serves a multitude of populations in that area in very transformative ways. But one of the population are the women who are part of the adult entertainment industry. This organization have gone into these various clubs and have developed relationship with women who 89% of them say that they would exit that tomorrow if they thought they had an option and a pathway out. They need to know that God loves them. This organization engages with them. Now, one of the ways that they engage uh, is that periodically they put together these packages and we got to partner with them this past weekend. Put together tons of packages you see on the screen 
a number of uh, products uh, in the package that women would appreciate, including games for those uh, women who have children. Uh, we added a $25 gift card. And this is my favorite part. All of these are acts of love. We wrote a note and put it in each package to the women, reminding them that they are beloved, reminding them that they are precious, that they are cherished, reminding them that they are not in this thing by themselves, that there are a group of people who will stand and walk with them and help facilitate uh, over the months and years to come a pathway out and forward. So moving. Or think about the tons of us who showed up at Kennedy Middle School, right around the corner from uh, where New Beginnings, uh, our Ridwood City campus is. It's a, it's a school of 800 students, high commitment school, low resource. We showed up by the tons of us, and we uh, renovated, planted, weeded six different gardens, including vegetable gardens. We sanitized and cleaned every single classroom. We painted and restacked and refiled books in the library, sanitized and cleaned uh, just tons of uh, people, hours, if you will, the cafeteria, and the list goes on and on and on. Or check out how we partnered with City Team. Yet again, that we, we took on two apartments. They have about 50 apartments in a complex that they are renovating so that women can come out of domestic violence with their children and find a safe place to live with wraparound services to get them back on their feet. And so you find us here in this picture. We are doing a demolition in two of these apartments, pulling up stuff from the floor, the walls, all that stuff, making it ready so that it can look like the apartment that we renovated last year. And you see that picture right here on the screen is already occupied by a family. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. And I'm going to be grateful for those of you who've given to help us to raise nearly $100,000. You know, that's our goal. The last time I checked, we're, about, we're at $75,000 that we've raised. We're $25,000 uh, shy of our goal. So I'm expecting that over the next two weeks, we're going to close that gap. So a huge thank you for those who have given and those who will help us to close the gap. Because a percentage of that money is going to go to help those who are still trying to dig themselves out of disaster relief areas, along with a group of other partners. Now, here's the question that I have to ask for you, as I've described. Oh, one more thing. I can't forget what happened yesterday. Hey, guys, we had a slew of folk to get baptized yesterday. It was awesome, just awesome, guys. Listen, we had one couple that's engaged. They got baptized together. We had another married couple that's been married for a year and a half. They got baptized together. We had three siblings. Check it out. A middle schooler, a high schooler, and a young adult. They were all siblings. They got baptized together. And the list goes on and on. I can't wait to show you the video. It was, it was like the crescendo moment of our journey over the last eight weeks. Now, here's the question. What do all these remarkable things have in common that we have experienced together over the last eight, eight, eight weeks? You might use the word love. You'd be accurate. But probably a more practical word that really speaks to the focus of this message today is generosity. You see, every week we seek to create space in this super diverse community called New Beginnings uh, for people to meet God at a pace that is their own. 
We say we come alongside of you wherever you are in your journey. That's an act of generosity. And for those of you who came out by the hundreds to give up your time, your talent, your resources, your experiences, both serving this weekend and helping us to reach our $100,000 goal, you were giving to the work of God in the world. That's generosity. To those who were being baptized, who got baptized, you're surrendering, giving your life over to a God who we know in Jesus Christ, giving, expressing to the world that your life now belongs to Jesus. His authority, power, and purpose is yours. Generosity. Can you say generosity? That's the secret, guys. The secret to a fulfilling life is exactly what we've been experiencing and experimenting with together over the last eight years, eight weeks, and especially over the course of this weekend and last weekend. The secret to a fulfilling life is generosity. Generosity. That's what Paul is referring to in the passage that we just read together. He says two things that are super important. The first thing, he says, listen, guys, uh, to, the, to the congregation that he's uh, talking to, writing to. He says, listen, I've been your example. And here's what I've tried to exemplify for you. And that is that it's worthy of working hard in order to help those in need. And you might translate this to suggest that he says, look, if I have to get a second job in order to generate the, the resources to help those in need, that's what I have done and will do. Why? Because Jesus says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. More blessed to give. What does that mean? And how deep and serious should we take that statement? It is more blessed to give than to see. Well, the first thing that it means is that Jesus is suggesting and Paul is modeling that we should prioritize in our lives giving over getting. Being a blessing over being blessed. Now, here's what Winston Churchill says. I love it. He says this. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Now, check this out. The Apostle Paul, Winston Churchill, and Jesus, you know what they're talking about? They're not talking about an occasional act of generosity. Giving of your time or your talent or your resources or your experience. No. They're talking about a lifestyle of generosity. It is more blessed to give than receive. How deep is that statement? How seriously should we take that statement? Let me suggest two categories that we ought to look at what Jesus teaches and take seriously through two sets of lens. The first lens is the personal benefits of generosity that flows into our lives when we are giving to God and when we are giving to others who are in need, serving the purposes of God. Now, I was blown away when I did this research and figured this out. I trust you will be blown away too. All right, number one, a lifestyle of generosity enhances our health. That is what, uh, that is what the, the researchers tell us, that it enhances our health. In these ways, number one, uh, it lowers our blood pressure. In some cases, as much as medicine and exercise does. It also lowers the risk of dementia as we move 
further in our years. It reduces anxiety and depression in our lives. It improves chronic pain management. Here's how a researcher at the University of California summarizes it. He says this, generous individuals tend to live a longer and healthier life period. So not only does it enhance our physical health, right? It increases our happiness. I was away last weekend. I was in Cushada, Louisiana because one of our dear classmates died and I was speaking uh, on the funeral program. But as soon as I got back, I got testimony after testimony after testimony that at all five of our sites, that was this crescendo, if you will, this cascade of laughter and joy that was just remarkable. And we had people there from as young as two years old, as old as 94 years old. Serving, blessing. These people are just like me. Many of you, some of you are watching me now, so you were there. You can say amen to this point, right? The joy and the excitement that filled the air, uh, the feeling of happiness that, that enveloped everyone, right? Every, you had people that had problems just like we have. But in that moment, in that moment, joy was the norm. Happiness, laughter. Here's what researchers say. Researchers say, yeah, well, that makes sense because giving our time and talent and money to others gives us an emotional boost. It's built literally into our neurochemistry, they tell us. Here's how it works. Giving triggers feel-good chemicals in our brain like uh, in, in, in endorphins and dopamines, etc. And they say that this is true. Regardless to what culture you're from or what class category you're in, as reported by the Harvard Business School. So it enhances us physically, enhances us emotionally and, 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 and psychologically. And, of course, it improves our relationship. Researchers have figured this out. They did some work with married couples. And they found that in marriages where generosity was the norm. Right. That the recipient of generosity had a high satisfaction rate in the marriage. But watch this, that the giver of generosity also had a high satisfaction rate in the marriage. That means that you've got a marriage where people don't mind serving one another, don't mind putting themselves out for one another, don't mind sacrificing for one another and not holding it over one another's head. Here's the last piece. It's contagious, guys. It's contagious. Uh, one uh, um, from the University of California, uh, one person puts it this way. Generosity begets generosity. Now, we've, I've experienced this a thousand and one times. Let me just tell you this quick story. My wife told me about this a few days ago. I told her what I was going to teach. Here's what she says. Last year, the last year, we mobilized nearly 2,000 as a church during our Be Rich effort last year, 2,000 hygiene kits to help provide for uh, the unhoused community across the Bay Area. And we had partners to help us do that. So Rhonda, along with our kids, was in the store shopping, picking up the items because we had committed to putting together and donating 40 hygiene kits as a family. And a guy walked up on her and said, wow, you're getting all these little different miniature you know, the old and this and that, raises and so forth. So why don't you just get the big packets up here? It's going to save you money. And she told him that, no, this wasn't for us. This was for our church and that we were, we were going to give close to 2,000 hygiene kits. We'd committed 40, et cetera, et cetera. He was shocked. 
The next thing he does, he reaches in his pocket, pulls out his money, counts out $40, gives it to Rhonda and says, use this, please. He doesn't know Rhonda's name. He doesn't know the name of the church. All we know is that he was touched by the generosity that Rhonda was involved in, and it pulled him in. It jumps from heart to heart, from life to life. You can make a difference. You can. You can. So the first category is that to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's simply another way of saying it has profound effect on us physically, psychologically, socially, in terms of our lives. But the second category is this, that at the very heart of our faith is really this notion of generosity, radical generosity, I might add. Can you say radical generosity? Radical generosity. Uh, I talk about it this way. It, 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 our, our faith contains the spiritual mandate for generosity. Look, look at, look at one of the scriptures that are at the very heart of what we teach about who Jesus is and why he came and what he did and what we benefit from and how God loves. John 3, 16. Here's what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. Stop. Did you see it? For this is how God loved the women that we are serving in the adult entertainment industry. He gave. For this is how God loved you and loved me. He gave. One of the young men that was uh, baptized on yesterday said that uh, he's a classical pianist. He had a dream. He was trying to get into a particular program. The door got closed. He was so frustrated with God. He was about to walk away, and he heard God whisper, Hey, God says, I need you to do life my way. And what I've got for you is far bigger than anything you can dream. It totally transformed him. And he began to trust God. And yesterday he was baptized. We can trust a God like that because this God that we know in Jesus leads with radical generosity. This is how he showed his love for the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone, can you say everyone, who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Check this out, guys. The attributes that we praise God for most of the time reflects God's radical generosity. Look, look, take, take, take note. We praise God for his grace. That's, that's unmerited favor that he gives us. That's part of his generosity. We praise God for his forgiveness, that through Jesus he does not count our sins against us. That's radical generosity. We praise God for his blessings. The psalmist in 103 says, bless the Lord for all of the categories of blessings. He says, for he forgives us of our sins. He heals us of our disease. He's just naming the categories of God's blessings. Come on. He delivers our lives from destruction. He crowns our heads with mercy and goodness, right? And when it, in all of those categories, all we see is a God pouring into our lives radical generosity. He gives us life. Whether you live one day or a hundred years, it's a gift. And yes, we praise God for his unconditional love. But how do we know that he loves us unconditionally? Because of his grace and his forgiveness and his blessings and the life that he enhances. And, 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 the, and the highest point of that life, come on now, is that he grants us eternal life that even death can't rob. 
My goodness. It is his generosity that reveals his love. And so you say, well, I'm not God. No, but are you a child of God? You say, well, I'm not Jesus. But no, are you a follower of Jesus? Then the God that we know in Jesus wants to reproduce that heart of radical generosity in you. And I'm telling you, it is the secret. It is the secret that will, will move your life towards incredible fulfillment. Incredible. Check this point out. Generosity deepens our intimacy with God. Here's what I say all the time. Listen. Practicing generosity in the presence of God with the power of God for the purposes of God means that at the end of the day, you can't help but get closer to God. And that God pours his love and his grace through you into the world. That's an amazing thing. But the second part of this is equally as true. You know, one of the ways that God transforms our lives is through stretching us into generosity. You know, uh, every Christmas we watch in some version or another the Christmas Carol story is about Mr. Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. And, and the whole, most of the story is about here's a guy that is the opposite of generous, right? He's the opposite. He's, he is mean and angry and insensitive and, and lacks compassion. But by the time we get to the end of the story, how do we know that he has experienced a remarkable transformation? You know how? Because he becomes generous. He's generous in his heart. He's generous in his relationships. He's generous in his resources. You see the joy and the smile and the laughter that's on his face, just like we just finished talking about that happened uh, last weekend in our service, just like the, the data proves. As you stretch into generosity, it changes your life. And even in the secular story of Mr. Scrooge, that point is reinforced. Here's the insight for you. Are you kind of Scroogey? <laughs> I might make that word up, right? Are you mean? Are you, are you more angry than not these days? Are you full of more toxins? Are you cynical about life? Do you spend most of your time being depressed? Well, here's the invitation of the God that we know in Jesus, backed up by the data. Right? Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive. Stretch into generosity. Begin to bless, to give, to serve. Now get this, as I'm moving towards the conclusion. Generosity at its best involves a willingness to sacrifice for others. So listen, let me just say this quickly. You know, cleaning out your closet with getting the shoes and the clothes and all the stuff that you have worn in five years and giving it to the Salvation Army, that's good, that's nice, and maybe even good stewardship because you, you're, you're making sure it's being used and utilized. But that's not generosity at its best, right? Generosity at the best always involves a stretching and a sacrifice. Look what, look what we just said, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. He gave what? His one and only son. Look at what 1 John 3, 16 says about Jesus. It says this, we know what real love is because Jesus did what? Gave up his life, sacrificed his life for us. And so we ought to give up our lives, sacrifice our lives for our brothers and our sisters who are in need. And that need manifests itself in a variety of different ways. Can you say sacrifice? It's at the heart of generosity. 
is the heart of demonstrating love. So, love at its best, according to these scriptures, not just words, guys, is expressed through giving. So I say to that teenager who's going to wake up tomorrow morning after listening to this message, and you're going to take to your chores, which you hate doing, but you're going to engage those chores, come on now, not as because they're responsibilities, but because it's an act of love. It's an act of generosity. I, I, I celebrate that college student who's getting ready for midterms or maybe finals, and, and, and you, you, you don't have enough time, you think, to even get as fully prepared as you want, but you have compassion on a fellow student who, who really needs some tutorial support. And so you figure out a way to help them even while you get prepared. That is an expression of love and generosity. I celebrate that person who at your job, somebody walked up to you the other day and they said something that came across the wrong way, but you offered grace to them. And here's how you offered grace. You, you, you gave them the benefit of the doubt. You said, you know what? I don't think she or he meant it the way it sounded. Or maybe they're going through a really tough time. I celebrate that spouse who rather than punishing and trying to get vengeance over that person who has hurt you but have come and asked for forgiveness, you just let it go. That's generosity. I celebrate that person who's watching me in San Jose right now and for weeks if not months you've been coming and sitting and worshiping and enjoying the entire experience but now in the weeks to come you move from sitting to serving, to becoming a part of the experience. Oh yes, I celebrate the person who's watching me on a screen, a telephone or a big screen, and you do it on a regular basis and you feel blessed by it, but you're going to move from watching to becoming a part of our online team to help deliver the experience. That's an expression of love. That's generosity. That's what ultimately is the secret that enriches our lives. So here's how I summarize it. A lifestyle of generosity is the secret to a more enriching life. It's the secret to a more impacting life, impactful life. It is the secret to a more Jesus-centered life. So in the last six, seven minutes, let me answer this question. Because I know you're wrestling with it. So how do I develop a lifestyle of generosity? Or how do I take my life of generosity, since I now really get that it's more blessed to give than to receive, how do I take it to the next level? Because I want to live the most enriched, the most impactful life I can. I love the way you ask your questions. The first thing you've got to tackle is that in most of our lives, the greatest stronghold, the greatest blockage to generosity is our attitude towards money. That oftentimes, you know, here's what Jesus says. Where your treasures are, there your heart is also. And many of us, our attitude towards money is either shaped by fear or greed. Either we're afraid of losing all our money and not having enough money, so we hold on to it for dear life. Or it's greed that we're trying to, uh, we're trying to accumulate as much, as much as we can. In both instances, our lives are shaped by getting and holding on to but it's more blessed to give, Jesus says, than to receive. So it starts with that money. So let me offer you this formula, and I'm challenging you to make a commitment today around this formula. Number one, prioritize God in your giving. How? 
by pre-deciding a percentage that you're going to give a stretch mark, right? Count up how much money you're giving now to being generous to the church and to other organizations. What the percentage is of your income? The Bible standard is 10%. The Old Testament gives us that 10% standard that works its way even into the New Testament. But I always say, you know, for some people, you can't start at 10%. So figure out what your percentage is and then add a little bit. Stretch. And then set up a system where you give to God first. Set it up. Make it an automatic giving experience in your bank. You set it up where you give to God first. Now, now, giving God your best and giving to God first is just replete throughout Scripture, right? Uh, for example, look at Proverbs 3.9. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Look at the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16.2. It says this, On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. I call this priority. Say, say it with me. Priority? Percentage? Say it. Progressive giving. Say it again. Priority, percentage, progressive giving. Now, here's a chart that we've put together. And I'm going to take you from the bottom up with this chart, right? It kind of illustrates how we think about giving. At the very bottom, I call it me and my first living as it relates to giving. Here's what we do. Once we get our check, we spend first, pay our bills, pay taxes, Put a little bit of money in savings, and whatever we have left over, that's what we give. We give it to God. We give it to help others. The little bit left over. But at the very top is what I call a lifestyle of generosity that is shaped around giving to God and to those who are in it first. That lifestyle, the very first thing you do, you give, comes right off the top. It's a predecided percentage that you give on a regular basis. You set it up in your bank, and you give it. And then you save. You have a predecided saving amount that you save. Then, of course, you pay your taxes, you pay your bills, and then you party off of what's left. <laughs> you say, but wait, I don't have much left before I do it like that. Oh, here's what you got to understand. If you take care of God's business, God will take care of yours. He will. He'll exercise the faith. Here's what Proverbs 11:25 says. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. My wife and I have a fabulous story that illustrates this. She was finishing up her medical school years, her final year in residency. She was looking for where she was going to end up practicing medicine. She had about $150,000 worth of loans, but she was super excited. We were thinking about buying a house. And then Roxbury Press, we were led into, the church I was passing was led into a major renovation effort. And I felt that God said, to me that we had to lead that effort, our family. And so I said to Rhonda, listen, as opposed to buying a home, let's, let's sacrifice that as an offering to God and take the money that we would have been paying on a month-to-month -month mortgage on a new home and let's allocate it for the renovation of God's house first. And then we'll secure ours later. That would turn out to be about a pledge of $60,000 over three years. Rhonda was like, what? Are you crazy? Who told you that? Since I've been struggling, I grew up in poverty, and I've worked to get through medical school, and I finally got to this point. I've got $150,000 of loans, and, 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 and yet this moment. Oh, it was a tough, it was tough, guys. It was tough. 
Yeah, yeah, we, it was tough. <laughs> At the end of the day, Rhonda decided she would do it after much prayer. Did I say much? <laughs> and she shared with the congregation. She said, this is not something I would do on my own. But he, meaning me, Herman, is not just my husband. He's my pastor, and I'm going to trust he's hearing from God. But then I tell you that if you take care of God's business, God will take care of yours. Within the next 60 days, the hospital that she was serving at, finishing up her residency, the CEO called her in and had a private meeting. He said, look, we want to keep you. And we know you got some loans. $150,000 worth, she said. Well, here's the deal. If you agree to stay with us for five years, we'll pay off your loans 100%. Interest in everything. And by the way, don't tell anybody because we've never done this before. Wow. You see? You see my point? You handle God's business, God will handle yours. Okay, here's where I want to end. And these remarks I want to address to those of you who understand and see NBCC is your church home, that this is your ministry. This is the place that you're proud to come, to serve, to watch, to be blessed on a regular basis. If you're new to this community, what I'm about to say over the next two to three moments, it does not apply to you. I'm not talking to you. And I should hasten to say that we rarely talk about money as it relates to our budget, et cetera, et cetera, because uh, it's been a barrier to a lot of people coming to church, right? So I preach this message mainly once a year. But I want to talk to those of you who are part of this ministry that I'm telling that we're that God has put together. This is the first time in 10 years that we're about two hundred thousand dollars behind in our budget. Primarily because of the unemployment that has hit the tech industry and tons of people who have moved out of the Bay Area and other parts of the country. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is a couple of things. One. It's too easy to think, wow, this is a big church. A lot of stuff is going on. My giving is not consequential. I want to tell you, your giving is consequential. Part of why God has called you here is not just to be blessed by NBCC, but to to be a part of the vision that he is delivering into the world through NBCC. And that means your giving is consequential. So I want to call you up for those who are watching online, attending in person, but you haven't stretch to give. I want to invite you to do that. To invest in the ministry that's feeding you. And um, the second reason you should give is because it's consequential to your life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I love what Jesus says at the end of the day. Give, he says, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, Shaking together, running over, will be poured into your life. In other words, I got you. I got you. For with the measure you use, he's saying it's almost as though there's a principle, universal principle built into reality. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you, Jesus says. Give. You'll find yourself living your most enriched, fulfilling life. So at the end of the day, Here's where you want to end up at, and I'm finished. At the end of the day, you don't want to give, at least I'm praying, that you'll end up at this place, where you're not just giving because you're going to get back. You're not just planning because you're going to get a good harvest. 
That, that, that's true. You're not just giving because Jesus says, and it will be given back to you. And he's not just talking about money, right? He's talking about love and favor and grace. He's talking about all of that. That's what he's really talking about. We just covered it in this teaching, right? But at the end of the day, I pray that you'll reach a place in your giving that you will give out of a place of gratitude because God has been so incredibly wonderful to you and he's been such a that that is your response of gratitude. I pray that you will give because you believe in the mission of what God is doing in the world and you want to partner with him. That's why I give. I pray that you will join me in that effort, that God will continue to use us to proclaim Jesus Christ and change the world one life at a time. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.